Hello and welcome to episode 78 of the Momony Podcast. I'm Jessica Morehouse, your lovely host of this podcast, and I'm so excited to talk to one badass girl boss. I'm talking about Heather Payne, who is the founder of Hacker You and Ladies Learning Code. She is also an angel investor, and also, if that weren't cool enough, one of Canada's top 100 powerful women. That's freaking crazy, and I'm pretty sure she's my age. So I absolutely want to talk to her. Actually, I, I took a, a course through Ladies Learning Code. It's all about uh, teaching uh, women, uh, but I think men are also totally allowed to come uh, about learning uh, HTML code and um, other coding things. I, I'm mainly just an HTML person. That's kind of as much as I can do. Java, don't know what that's all about. But uh, I took that class just to kind of uh, improve my uh, web skills, and it was awesome. It literally kind of changed the game for me. And so I, you know, did some research and found out this girl is amazing that that founded Hacker You and Ladies Learning Code. So I want to chat with her about um, money, entrepreneurship, and just being a awesome girl boss. And so I'm super excited to chat with her. But before we get to that interview, I want to say a big thank you to Well Simple for sponsoring this episode of the Mo Money Podcast. Well, Simple is the fastest growing automated investing service in Canada. Well, Simple uses smart technology to help you create and manage a diversified investment portfolio, saving you time and money. And of course, because you are a Mo Money podcast listener, you will get a $50 bonus when you sign up at wealthsimple.com slash Jessica Morehouse. And of course, I will include that information in the show notes at jessicamorehouse.com slash 78. So let's get to the interview, shall we? Thanks, Heather, for joining me on the Mo Money podcast. I appreciate you uh, chatting with me. I'm very excited. Cool. Thanks for having me here today. No problem. So, um, the reason I, one of the reasons I really wanted to chat with you is because I actually took a, a course in your ladies learning code and I didn't know, I knew a tiny bit of HTML, but that course really, really helped me. Like you wouldn't believe, like, honestly, like it really, really helped me. And every time I talk to someone that's like, I really want to learn coding. I always tell them about ladies learning code. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's an awesome thing that you did. I can't believe like when I kind of found out, I'm like, oh, I wonder who started Ladies Learning Cone and then uh, Hacker You. I couldn't believe it was you who's 27 and you've accomplished so much in such a short amount of time. Uh, I'm 29 now. So you must 29. Have seen my, okay. My birthday must be out of date somewhere. <laughs> Still, that's very impressive. <laughs> very, very impressive. So I, I want to kind of get to know you a little bit more because um, I find you as a female millennial entrepreneur, you're very inspiring. I feel like um, it's you're a great role model showing that you can make your own business, you can make your own money, and you can find different uh, avenues to make money instead of kind of a traditional route with a nine to five job. So were you always kind of interested in the entrepreneurial side of things? Is that kind of where you saw yourself when you're growing up and then going to university? No, not at all, actually. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah, my my parents, um, usually entrepreneurs, they have parents who are entrepreneurs. I think that's been like a mm -hmm. thing that's been proven. But my parents um, are not entrepreneurs at all. They're actually kind of like lifetime, same company kind of folks. Um, mm -hmm. And I didn't really have any entrepreneurial influences growing up. Um, 
I decided to study business at university um, purely based on my experience uh, in high school. I worked at McDonald's and Mm -hmm. uh, was promoted to being like a manager there when I was 16. And I really liked that. And so I thought, well, of all the things to pick, I mean, I like running this business for the eight hours that I run it, you know, a couple times a week. Um, So that's what made me choose business at university. And even then, all throughout my four years, um, my plan was really to graduate and then join like a fortune 500 company and work my way to the top. That was kind of what I had imagined for myself, um, for my career and for my future. Um, and so I even interned, like my third year internship was working at craft. And that was totally for me, like the first step on that journey toward, you know, running a fortune 500 company or something like that. Um, and it really wasn't until I graduated and, um, got a job in like a larger organization and realized probably that I'm a better fit for a small company. And then it it really wasn't even until after I had worked at a startup that I realized like, Oh, maybe I can just do this myself rather than working for somebody else. So it really came like a bit later. Although, I mean, I was only probably 22 or 23 when I had that realization. So relatively young still. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And do you think it's partly just because At least for me in my experience, I didn't even know entrepreneurship or working for a startup was an option. It it always just seemed like, no, you go to school and then you get a nine to five job. That's kind of, you know, if your parents did that, that's kind of the way you see it. And I didn't know anyone that was that had their own company. So I didn't even know that was something that I could do. Is that kind of your experience, too? Yeah, I mean, I think it was a couple things. One is I graduated in 2009, which was a a bit of a rough time to graduate. The economy had Mm -hmm. just collapsed the the previous fall. And there just weren't the same opportunities for recent business school grads to get jobs as there was even probably a year prior. Um, So the jobs, you know, were not great. The salaries had gone down. And then when you look at, okay, I could take this job making 35k working for someone else or like maybe I can just find a way to make 35k myself (laughs) you know it doesn't seem like as much of a leap versus turning down an offer to make 60k fresh out of school like that's like how could you ever turn that down that is like exactly where you end up and then of course you end up on the path you know making more and more money and then kind of being at working at a company for maybe the rest of your career Mm -hmm. um so I think that was one thing and then I think the other thing that really brought me to entrepreneurship was um that I, I never took a giant leap. I always just took tiny little steps and it really allowed me to build up um, like a risk tolerance. Um, so like at the beginning when my first, you know, venture in quotes is Ladies Learning Code, which is a nonprofit. Um, and we just started with one workshop. You know, I did it on the side and it wasn't a huge deal and people really liked it. And it, you know, it made some money so that we could, you know, buy a projector and that kind of stuff. And then we just started doing more and more and more And eventually it it made sense for us to get our own space and it made sense Mm -hmm. for me to quit my job and work for ladies learning code half time. And then I would sort of like make up the other half salary doing other types of things. Um, I find it really interesting. Like one of the reasons I believe we don't have as many female entrepreneurs as we have male entrepreneurs is, um, like the idea of risk training. And I think we Mm -hmm. shield young girls from risk a lot, whether that's like climbing a tree or just in the way that we socialize them. And I think it's really important um, for parents. And I think my parents did a great job of this to like encourage young girls to take small risks so that by the time you're 20, it doesn't seem as scary to do something like negotiate a salary or even like start a side project that you have to put a thousand dollars into to get started. 
you know? Yeah. And I see that yeah. in my own life. Like the risks that I take now are crazy compared to <laughs> what I, you know, would have been comfortable with at 21. But it's because I've made all these little tiny like risky decisions along the way that have like mostly worked out and you just kind of build up a tolerance for that. Mm-hmm. No, I, I absolutely agree. You kind of hit the nail on the head there because that's something that I realized in my own kind of experience. It's, it's not until now and I'm, I'm 30 now that I'm more comfortable doing things that are, you know, quote unquote risky. Whereas in my early twenties and just starting out my career, I, there was no way I'm like, no, I want to do something secure and safe. Cause I was always afraid of what could happen. Cause I was always kind of warned against that from my parents. Like, you know, you want a secure job. You want to, you know, don't take too many sick days. Otherwise they'll think that you're playing hooky, like all these mm-hmm. things. Whereas it's, it's almost silly. It's like, why didn't I kind of take more risk when I was younger, when you almost have less to lose because you are younger? Yeah, totally. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I read on your uh, bio on your website that after university, did you also did kind of a stint in China, which seemed pretty interesting. Yeah, so that was um, an interesting time. So I went uh, on exchange for my last semester of university, which I definitely recommend uh, for people mm-hmm. who can make that happen. Um, I had... Uh, a lot of jobs throughout high school and university to try and make that stuff possible. I mostly paid Mm -hmm. for school myself. Um, Oh, wow. That's awesome. So that was something that was really important to me was to be able to have those kinds of opportunities and also graduate without debt. That was something that was really, really important to me, Mm -hmm. Um, which also is probably one of the reasons I was able to become an entrepreneur because I had some savings and that's important. Um, But yeah, so I went away on exchange for my last semester of university and I just liked it so much over there. I kind of felt like I... I wasn't ready to come back home and I had gotten an offer to join um, craft full time at that point. And uh, I just sort of felt like that was really not the right thing for me and that I had something else uh, in my future. Mm-hmm. And so I searched around for like an excuse to stay abroad basically. And I found this mm-hmm. awesome scholarship program offered by the Chinese government, um, in like the depths of Google. I have no idea how it happens. <laughs> and, um, basically they were uh, bringing foreigners in to study and, and do master's degrees in their various universities. And they would pay for like room board and they'd pay for your tuition and they'd give you a living stipend and everything. And so wow. I applied to that program and got in and I, um, started a, uh, master's in international relations at Xiamen University in uh, Fujian province in China. Um, so I went, I was in Europe, I was in um, Hong Kong on exchange. I then did like two months backpacking around Europe. And then I basically moved straight to China and I was supposed to stay there for two years. I ended up sort of getting what I needed out of the experience after about 10 months, which was sort mm-hmm. of reflection, um, yeah. thinking, having a new experience. And also that's actually when I started learning how to code. Um, Mm. and that sort of made me excited to come back to Toronto. And and at that point I was sort of ready to start my life, uh, my real life basically. So how did you, how did coding kind of come about? I'm so curious about that. Yeah. I mean, I, while I was over there, I was obviously still thinking about, you know, my eventual return to Canada and to Toronto Mm -hmm. and trying to figure out what I was going to do with myself because I knew that things hadn't changed that much and that opportunities for young people were kind of sparse. Um, And I think at some point I just stumbled upon the idea of um, having a blog 
And uh, I actually had in university worked as a fitness instructor. So I decided like the the safest and easiest thing to do would be to go back to Toronto and start working as a fitness instructor. Mm -hmm. And I could then have a little bit of money and then I can um, figure out my next steps from there, I guess. Um, It all sounds so crazy now because my... (laughs) Everything has like gone in a very different direction. Um, yeah. But yeah, I started this blog called fitinto.ca. And uh, and then as I was blogging, I was obviously, as this is where so many people get started, mm-hmm. was learning how to code so that I could customize it and make changes to it. Um, so that was really the impetus for starting to learn. And then once I started to learn, that became like a much more interesting thing to me than blogging. So I never really did a lot of blogging, but I did a lot of like WordPress, um, like theme customizations and like different WordPress hacks and stuff like that. Nice. That's a cool. And it's kind of funny that you're, you know, just kind of fell into that because now it seems like, like depending on what kind of job you want, it seems like that's almost a requirement for most jobs. You need to know how to code. Yeah. I mean, things have changed a lot. That was in 2009. Um, So we're talking like seven years ago now, basically. Mm -hmm. And even when, uh, so I was, I was learning, I was just using Google and using resources and realizing how hard it was. Like I was not a genius at this at all. It was really a struggle. So I have a lot of empathy for people who are wanting Mm -hmm. to learn. Um, but even in 2011, when I, uh, when we started ladies learning code, it was still a little bit early to be talking about how everyone needs to have coding skills. And I think that's one of the reasons ladies learning code was so successful was, like this trend just happened and we were like right, like riding that tidal wave of this like learn to code excitement. Um, so part of it was just luck in terms of timing. Absolutely. So why did you, so you came back when, did, at what point did you start your nonprofit ladies learning code? So I was back for about a year first. Mm-hmm. Um, I got back to Canada, to Toronto, um, May of 2010. Um, and actually ended up finding a job pretty quickly after that. Um, I think a couple weeks, um, like a, just an entry level, basically executive assistant type job. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you got to start somewhere. Yeah. And uh, I did that for about six months and then moved into the marketing department at that company and did that for six months. And it was around the time I moved into the marketing company that I started um, thinking about uh, ladies learning code. I had had a great experience while in Los Angeles attending like a coding workshop for women. So that Mm -hmm. was really the inspiration for ladies learning code. I think that happened in May of 2011. Um, and I just thought, wow, like this needs to be in Toronto for sure. Mm -hmm. And, uh, while I was working in that marketing role, I started working on, um, the idea for ladies learning code on the side. (laughs) That's awesome. Um, why did you want to do specifically for women coding? Is it just because you have a a passion for educating women? Yeah, I don't know. People ask me that a lot, and I don't actually remember making that decision, so I don't Mm -hmm. know what happened there. I think (laughs) I've always been really involved in um, feminist organizations. I was a girl guide my whole life, and in university I was in a sorority. Um, So I had benefited a lot from environments that are like explicitly for females and I I think I knew about the tech industry being male dominated I think I did like I think I was aware of that Um, and probably largely it was support it was um, influenced by the fact that this coding workshop that I'd attended in Los Angeles it was by a group called the pie ladies and it was like all about women and I just loved that environment and I thought it was awesome and it was non-intimidating and everyone was really cool Um, so it probably was also trying to replicate that sort of experience here in Toronto. 
Absolutely. Well, I've got to say, as someone who went to one of the um, classes at Ladies Learning Code, I actually really liked that it was just women because it was kind of a little less intimidating. We were all kind of in the same boat. We were all wanting to kind of, you know, learn HTML and we really didn't know where to start. And it was, was, I don't know, I I really liked how it was just specifically for women. And that's kind of why I I tell everyone about it because it's just such a great program. Yeah, totally. And we've actually like, it's not even explicitly for women. Mm -hmm. I mean, the title says, okay, obviously women are welcome and encouraged to come to this thing um, mm-hmm. but men have always been welcome and oh, yeah. like there's usually like a few or like a handful of men at every workshop um, and I think that's awesome like I think it's cool to create an environment that's friendly to women that clearly speaks to women and says this is a place you belong you don't need to be worried about coming here but then at the end of the day welcomes everyone who wants to come exactly. to that I think that's like no, a beautiful Absolutely. I, I love that. So at what point did you also start Hacker U, which is kind of the next step after Ladies uh, Learning Code? Yeah, so I had the idea for Hacker U in February of 2012. So uh, Ladies Learning Code's first workshop was August 2011. Um, I actually quit the, the job that I had, um, I think, mm-hmm in September 2011 to basically become a full-time volunteer working on Ladies Learning Code, living off my savings. Um, I kind of saw that it was headed somewhere, so I was okay with, you know, making that short-term trade-off. And then uh, in January, I started um, working half-time for Ladies Learning Code, so I was able to make like a a meager half-time salary. And then I got a contract with Mozilla for the other sort of half of my time doing this kind of work, but for kids. So it, it just worked out amazingly. And then by February of 2012, I started thinking, um, you know, A, people were coming to us and saying, cool, I love this one day workshop, but what do I do if I want to keep learning or if I want to really build a skill? So we were hearing it on like the participant side. And then at the same time, I was like watching the industry in general and starting to see these like boot camp style coding programs popping up in the States. Um, there were just a couple at the time. And I was like, wow, like somebody's going to do that in Toronto. And if it's not me, I've really messed up. <laughs> um, so February I had the idea, started working on it. And then by June we launched with, you know, website and um, some curriculum and that kind of thing. I started filling um, our first course, which was like an intro to HTML, CSS course. It was going to be um, basically like three months long part-time and uh, it sold out pretty quickly, mostly with people who had come to Ladies Learning Code first. So mm-hmm. uh, it was the same sort of group of people and that started in September and uh, ran until I think November or December. And that oh, was wow. like, the start of Hacker U. That's awesome. Yeah, I definitely feel like you found like a really great niche. And I don't like, honestly, I couldn't think when I was I was the reason I went to ladies learning code was I I needed to kind of up my skills for my job. And so when I was looking online, I couldn't find anything like what you've got. So you definitely kind of found a great place for you and a a great uh, situation to help people. Yeah, it just has been like the best. It's been so much fun and so rewarding and such a fun way to learn. I mean, Ladies Learning Code was such good training wheels as well for how to run a business. And I brought a lot of that knowledge over to HackerU. And, you know, even HackerU is probably training wheels for something else that I'll do later on. So, you know, it's just all it's all really exciting to be able to do something that you love that really helps people. Uh, Definitely. That also like allows you to make a living like that's kind yeah. of the trifecta. Yeah, exactly. So I read that you're also an angel investor. 
how did you get into that and what does that exactly mean? <laughs> yeah, so that also is accidental, like most um, most of my career, yeah. really. Um, so, uh, well, the original um, reason I got into it, I made a really great group of uh, girlfriends who were all entrepreneurs um, in and around when Ladies Learning Code started. So maybe back in 2011, we started connecting through Twitter at meetups and and then we would go for coffee and eventually we all became really good friends. And we're still um, friends today. We just hung out last week, a whole bunch of us. Nice. And everyone's businesses now are like five years old instead of, you know, true startups, which is mm-hmm. is pretty cool. Um, and one of the friends that I met was um, Catherine Haig, uh, who at the time was working in marketing as well. So we're both working in marketing. We coincidentally quit our jobs on the same day in October or so, September, October of 2011, without talking about it first. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I decided to work on Ladies Learning Code, and she decided to start a tech company. And wow. we were just like hanging out one day, talking about it. And she mentioned her next steps and what she was going to do. And um, I was like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna invest in your business." She was like, "What?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna give you ten thousand dollars to like build the prototype that you need to build." Um, and at the time, I probably had like. 20 or $25,000 in the bank. And, and I wasn't working. Like this was like yeah. when I was volunteering for ladies earning code full time. So like what a crazy decision. I don't know. It just felt right. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I don't recommend that people do this kind of thing this way. Exactly. You have to have like a good risk tolerance, like you said. Yeah, I guess. Um, I kind of considered it like a personal branding expense. Like I, I kind of yeah. wanted to be a female angel investor and, and be a young angel investor and show people that, you don't have to wait until you're 50 and you have gray hair to be able to do this. Um, so we, d- we decided like, okay, well, this sounds crazy. Let's reconnect tomorrow. And if we still think this is a good idea, then we'll move forward. And the next day I still thought it was a good idea. So I ended up giving her $10,000 for a business. I bought some percentage of the company with that and some small percentage. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, two, two and a bit years later, the company was acquired. Um, and I, I mean, I think she's published the, the amount that I got, but I basically got a nine X return on my mm-hmm. $10,000 investment, nice. um, which was really cool. And the timing was amazing. Cause I was just about to get married. So I used a bunch of it to like pay for my half of the wedding, yeah. um, which felt really good. So, um, so that was a start. And then I've, I've used like some of the proceeds of that to do some more, um, investments since then. Um, there, there's four, I think four more that I've done just like oh, little, wow. little ones, like, yeah. 10 grand, 12 grand, whatever. And do you just find out about these through like just people, you know, or how, how does what, like, I always kind of wonder, like, how does one become an angel investor exactly? Yeah. I mean, I think people do know that I invested mm-hmm. in Catherine's business and that I've done mm-hmm. a little bit more since then. And also there's a big effort now to diversify in general. Companies want to have diverse you know, employees um, and com- uh, startups also want to have diverse investors so that their investors mm-hmm. are bringing different perspectives to the table. So I've been sought out a little bit because of that, like for being a, a young woman who does this kind of thing. Um, so that's where a couple of them have come from. But I really like to invest in my friends. Um, mm-hmm. Probably that's not generally people's advice, but um, I just, I, if I know someone and I know like their character and what they're about and I believe in what they're doing, like I want to get behind that for sure. Yeah, you've got that trust there, which I think is important. Yeah, so that's been the driver of three of mine for sure. Has just been like, I totally believe in this person and Mm -hmm. like, I want to support them with what they're doing. 
That's awesome. That's exciting. So you're still so young and you've done way more than most people, including myself. I'm really curious what you kind of plan or foresee for yourself in like the next five or 10 years. Do you, do you kind of, do you do a kind of a five, 10 year plan or do you just kind of do it year by year? I honestly have always winged it. Mm -hmm. Um, but I always kind of try and have like a big vision Mm -hmm. of where maybe I'm headed or something like that. Um, so that, I don't know. I think one of the differences between people who are entrepreneurs and people who are uh, like CEOs running established organizations, for example, Mm -hmm. is that entrepreneurs are really good at scanning a landscape and then figuring out from there, like what opportunities exist. Um, And I think that's one of my biggest strengths. Um, Like for example, in the past year and a bit, um, I bought two investment properties in Hamilton Mm-hmm. And that has like, that wasn't really something that I planned on doing, but then I kind of heard about it and I knew someone who was a real estate agent there who was, you know, doing it. And, um, and it's been awesome. And mm-hmm. I, I didn't, I wasn't like, Oh, in three years I must own a rental property. Yeah. Um, you know, but it just kind of came up and it made sense. Um, my husband, and I own them together obviously, but I mm-hmm. was definitely the driver and making that happen. <laughs> He's just like, what are we doing now? Um, <laughs> so that's pretty funny, but yeah, in the next five years, I mean, I love hacker you so much. Mm-hmm. Um, it is kind of my dream business in that it is such a community Um, Mm -hmm. like our grads are so passionate about what we do. I've helped so many people, um, get their first real job or move out of their parents' house for the first time, Mm -hmm. finally get into a career that they actually like. Um, and that is just the coolest. I love it. Um, it also like makes me want to stay a little bit on the smaller side because I actually have the ability right now to work with each grad, um, of like our bootcamp program, for example. And, you know, if you become too big or you become like multi-location, you'll kind of lose that. So I think it's important, you know, for everyone to know what are your goals and what are the things you like about your business? Nobody wants to grow their business to the point where they don't like it anymore. Exactly. Like that's when you end up selling it and you know, whatever. Um, so yeah, I think, I mean, I'll be definitely spending the next five, 10 years building hacker you and making it better and, um, expanding our influence for sure. Um, I think we'll just stay in Toronto because I also yeah. am realistic that like, I don't really want to get on an airplane all yeah. the time. Um, you know, I like my life. I live about 35 minute walk from where hacker U's office is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that. It's awesome. Um, and I think I'll keep doing like, you know, some real estate stuff, some startup stuff, like just keep it interesting by having like different kind of fun side pro- products going on. I'm working on a new website right now for myself because the one that I have is from like 2010. Um, so I've got <laughs> some designers working on a new website and I definitely want to get more into like blogging and mm-hmm. um, I started doing more public speaking this year. Um, yeah, I saw that. That's cool. Yeah. And I, I want to do more of that. Um so yeah, I don't know, as I have more to share about like business and life and that kind of stuff, I, I want to, you know, buy a rental property or like whatever things I can kind of tell people that you're never too young to do this kind of thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, absolutely. That's, that's exciting. I'm excited to see, uh, kind of just follow along with your journey in the next few years. Cause I think, uh, there'll be some great stuff, especially with the public speaking and you just, you know, uh, sharing your story more. Cause I think it's a, a story that, I think we need to hear more of. I'm always super inspired to continue kind of 
doing new things when I hear about someone who's my age, who's a woman, who's been able to do it or is trying to do it as well. So I think that's really, really inspiring. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I love that too. Like hearing from someone who's my age or just a bit older than me and just being like, oh my God, I can get there too. I can do this. Exactly, exactly. So one last question before I let you go. What would your... You know, if if someone is in university or just starting out in their career and they're thinking, should I go the kind of regular traditional route of the nine to five or kind of, you know, try my luck at entrepreneurship? What would your kind of tips or some of the things that you learned along the way at the beginning, what would you kind of uh, let them know what to expect and, and things to look out for? Yeah, um, that's a good question. So, <laughs> I mean, I think... I think most people are better off owning their own business if they have the stomach for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's important to know yourself. I think there also are some super amazing companies out there um, and great bosses to work for. And like, I try and be one of those to my team, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so there can be great situations on both sides. Um, but I think if you have the stomach for entrepreneurship or the desire to do it um, and you're willing to put in the, the few years of slogging it out that it takes, um, it's, it's a pretty cool way to, to live your life. I think the biggest thing is... Um, read the read uh lean startup i think it's called mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um that really helped me in the beginning around testing your idea and making sure that you're not just like building something that you think is cool but you're actually building something that people will like and that's sort of been my my whole strategy you know first we did ladies learning code and it was just an experiment but then we realized that okay and now there's certain people who come to ladies learning code who actually want to take a three-month-long part-time course and then we made something for them and then eventually there was enough people who did a three-month-long part-time course on html css who wanted to learn javascript and then there were you know so the whole time we've just been like identifying needs of the the community that's around us and creating things for that group. Um, So that's something that's really important, I think. And also always like keeping your destination in mind and never settling, you know, like I started my career as an executive assistant. Mm -hmm. Uh, I worked at a startup in sales and like was going to be fired if I didn't quit. Um, (laughs) And I just always kept in my mind that like, I'm not like being an executive assistant isn't the thing that I'm doing with my life. It's what I'm doing Mm -hmm. for now. It's what's allowing me to save money and live downtown and have, you know, other exciting opportunities. Um, But have a plan for, you know, being in a role like that for a year and then, and then knowing how you're going to get out of it. And usually what it takes is doing a lot of stuff on the side, going to events, going to startup weekend, blogging, social media, like personal branding type stuff. Like it's going to take some effort. Nobody's just going to hand it to you. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think keeping that in mind and having a plan for getting yourself out of a role that you're not into, whether that's into working for yourself or whether that's into just working somewhere where you're going to be happier, that's more aligned with what you're looking for, um, I think is a really good plan. And I see a lot of people um, you know, being at a place you don't like for two years or three years, four years, like, it's, it becomes harder to get out of yeah. at that point. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, those are great bits of advice. And uh, thank you so much for chatting with me. I really appreciate it. I know I got a lot out of it and I'm sure listeners will as well. Yeah, no problem. Thank you so much for having me. And that was episode 78 of the Mo Money podcast with Heather Payne, the founder of HackerU and Ladies Learning Code. And of course, if you want to upgrade your uh, coding skills, I find it invaluable now. I can't believe I didn't 
know how to use HTML properly. Um, make sure to check them out at ladieslearningco.com and they have classes uh, throughout lots of different uh, cities in Canada. Or if you want to do something a little bit more intensive, a little bit more for the advanced uh, coder, check out hackeru.com and those are based all in Toronto. And of course, to find out more about Heather herself, she has her own website, heatherpain.ca. I'll have course link to all of this in the show notes jessicamorris.com slash 78 that is a lot of websites i just said one after the other i hope you all got all that maybe just check out the show notes all of that's in there um and again a big thank you to well simple for sponsoring this episode of the mo money podcast if you don't know who well simple is well i'm going to tell you right now they are the fastest growing automated investing service in canada they use smart technology to help you create and manage a diversified investment portfolio save you time and money and if you sign up with them uh, at wellsimple.com slash jessicamorehouse, you'll get a $50 bonus. So get your investments right. Go to wellsimple.com slash jessicamorehouse and just do it. And so I will not have a Lister Series episode for you tomorrow, uh, but I will have a fresh new episode for you next Wednesday. So uh, on that note, I'll see you next Wednesday. Bye, guys. This podcast is distributed by the Women in Media Podcast Network. Find out more at womeninmedia.network.